Tappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. We have a good show today. We're going to talk about Packer preseason overreactions. We're going to also talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, what they did this weekend, how they continue to dominate on the road and get you ready for the St. Louis Cardinals series, which comes up on Tuesday. It's been a while since the Brewers have played the Cardinals, see where the Cardinals are at, see what's going on there, and move forward in that one. We're also going to talk about the Big Ten ACC and Pac-12 aligning. We'll see what that means. They're developing an alliance that broke over the weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that, why they are. Um, really good article from Andy Staples that I wanted to cover slash react to and sort of see what's next there and how they're basically combating the SEC because that is what this is all about. But first, we're going to talk about postseason, preseason overreactions. I put in the cart before the horse there. But yes, the Green Bay Packers had their first preseason game on Saturday. I'm not a huge fan of preseason. I think if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know this. Like, you know that I'm not like the biggest preseason guy. Uh, there were guys at the bar, we are at Nomad Shout Out, um, who were like reacting to every offensive play by the Green Bay Packers and I'm like guys it's fucking preseason like let's just settle down all right like can we I understand we're excited football's back I get it right like football the feeling of football being back is always a good thing I you know I played for 10 years I don't know if you know that I'm sure you do and every time like right around this this part of the year it's more last week than it was this week but, like, you start to get this sense of, like, you should be out on a football field. Like, the weather yesterday was great. Um, just the weather in the morning has been really nice the last few days after the heat wave that had came through Wisconsin. And, I, you know, you just get out there and you're like, God, I should be, I should be on the football field. And, and you'll always will have that feeling. So it's not like I don't understand. I understand the reaction. Like, I understand the overreaction of all of this stuff. Like, I, I get it. I get that we want to be excited about preseason, but at the end of the day, it's just preseason. So, like, the guys that were going crazy after one fucking Jordan Love pass, like, just settle down. Like, we don't we don't need to do that. So, anyways, I the, the fact of the matter is, is there were a lot of people excited about Jordan Love. There were a lot of people that were fired up about what Jordan Love was doing out on the football field and for good reason Jordan Love played pretty well I mean he was 12 for 17 108 yards he threw a touchdown he had one bad play which was a fumble blindside fumble but I feel like that is a welcome to the league rookie sort of thing and he's not going to have Josh Neiman uh, be his blocker uh, usually at, at the left tackle position I think Josh hurt his case um, at the left tackle spot in the first game of the preseason. So obviously after the first game, we always want to overreact. There's always things to talk about. You know, there are, you know, think, things that we like, things we didn't like, and sort of where do we kind of go from here and get ready for the Jets, which will be a afternoon game for the Packers. I think it's at 3.30 on Saturday, which is great. I mean, that's awesome, to, in my opinion. And the Brewers, unfortunately, are playing as well in the afternoon. It's like, guys, can't we just, can we plan this out a little bit better? Like, why couldn't we have the Packers in the afternoon and the Brewers at night and set us up for a really nice Saturday afternoon? Of course not, right? Because life sucks sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's, I guess, just how it is. But... 
the biggest overreaction will be that Jordan Love played pretty well. Everyone will have a take on Jordan Love. Everyone will either say Jordan Love played well. Some people will say, I don't know, the mechanics, this, that. And, and those people, be honest, like they don't know shit. I'll just say it point blank. They don't know shit. They're playing base defense, right? Like they're not playing against like the defenses that they're going to see every week of the NFL season. That's why the overreactions about Justin Fields, the overreactions about Trey Lance, um, Tua I think is going to get a lot of smoke this week. Um, there's there's going to be overreactions across the board after one preseason game. That's bound to happen. All right. But the fact is, is that Jordan Love played well. He didn't look out of his element. And I know a lot of us were sort of saying, oh, look, right, Rodgers struggled in his first preseason. He did not look good. And everybody was ready to be like, why do we draft this guy? You know, he's not far, yada, yada. The, and, it, and it was 2005 where social media didn't really exist. Facebook had not been created or it was just starting. And if Rodgers had the preseason he did, you know, in... I don't know, 2012, I think everybody would have killed him and would have said, oh, this guy's a bust and would have rolled off Rodgers immediately. Now, also remember the New York Times before social media, remember newspapers, there's a headline because the Chargers played the Colts after Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf got drafted. And the headline is Leaf outduels Manning. And, and Kevin Clark mentioned how he thinks about this every preseason and gets not to overreact. And it, it's very true, right? Like, we can't just crown Jordan Love. Like, there were some nice plays. The Jay Sternberger seam route. Jay Sternberger, by the way, maybe back on Jace Island myself. Like, we can, we can react, right? We can be excited. But there needs to be a tempered excitement. It looks like Jordan Love belongs. I'll put it that way. That, that to me is the simplified, condense it down to a simple sentence. Jordan Love belonged out there. Or he, he meant that there wasn't like, it looked too big for him. The moment looked too big. Jordan Love handled his shit and did really well. And so I commend him for that. He looked prepared. He looked ready to go. The fourth, the fourth down play was the only thing that was like, ah, that something happened there, that miscommunication, whatever, the fumble, yes. So there were some moments that weren't great, but it's not, you're not going to be perfect. Like, it's your first game out. Like, you're not just going to immediately, like, be this 15 for 15, two touchdowns and light it the fuck up. Like, that's just, this is not going to happen. That's, that's sports. You're going to have some stumbles. You're going to bump your, bump your face a little bit every now and again. So I'm all right with a couple missteps from Jordan Love. But all in all, I think it was a really successful game one for Love. And I'm hopefully he can play against the Jets. You know, he has a shoulder strain. He's going to miss a couple days of practice. LaFleur didn't know if he was going to play or not in on Saturday. We'll see what happens there. But I, I really hope that we can get another Jordan Love appearance on Saturday. Other overreactions from the Packer game. Josh Jackson, I think, is the... I wouldn't say enemy number one. That's a little intense. But I do think everybody is wondering what do the Packers have with Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson was facing a Texans receiving core that does not have anyone, right? They have nobody. Uh, Nico Collins was a good draft pick but, that they made, but they don't have anybody. Chris Conley, a former chief Jaguar. Like they, they don't, they just, it's the bottom of the barrel. And Josh Jackson was getting worked. Josh Jackson got abused um, in that game against the Texans. And there's some real questions whether Josh Jackson should keep his job. 
And I thought he was playing his way out of a roster spot. I really did. I didn't really think that this was Josh Jackson's finest hour. And I understand you have multiple games to go. And if you play well in the Jets game, maybe that, you know, sort of counteracts the bad Texans game and it's just one bad game. But I don't know how much you can trust Josh Jackson. Should Josh Jackson really be your backup cornerback? to Kevin King. Now, Kevin King got hurt, as he has in a lot of years last year, and Josh Jackson served as backup, and he did all right. Like, I don't think he was terrible. Um, the Buccaneers game was a disaster, if you remember. But other than that, I thought Josh Jackson played pretty well in those spurts. But seeing this, you're like, well, how, how much longer can you have patience with Josh Jackson? This is some of the stuff I said with Jay Sternberger. I don't know what podcast, but I, I think it was when we were doing the draft stuff with Murph. And I was like, look, we've had Jace for a few years. Like, it's put up a shut-up time for him. And he, and he had a great game. I mean, he's suspended for two games. They're not going to cut Jay Sternberger, by the way. This is a little tangent. But they're not going to cut Jay Sternberger because he doesn't make, like, he's not part of the roster because of the suspension. They'll make a decision on Jace in the third week of the season. But Jace looked really good in this game, and... I think that helps his cause. And he knows that his back is against the wall a little bit here. Um, And Josh Jackson should feel the same. And maybe Josh Jackson was overdoing it. Maybe he just felt the pressure and the pressure got to him. But I don't know if you can really go into the season and say Josh Jackson is our backup corner. Because I don't feel good about it. And we didn't really see a lot of Eric Stokes. Maybe that means we need to see more of Eric Stokes just to be confident in it. That's asking a lot of a rookie. Um, I thought Shamar Jean Charles play, had some really nice moments um, in this game. I thought Vernon Scott had some great moments if you're talking about the secondary. Though, to me, like those are things that like I can overreact to. Um, also, another thing to overreact to in the negative um, before we'll talk positive I did not like what I saw from the backup offensive line. Now, I realize this was not a offensive line that we're going to see regularly, but the running attack was absolutely putrid. And whether it was they were keen on the run because Jordan Love was in the backfield, the running game was awful. Paul Hackett, or Paul Hackett, that's his dad. Nathaniel Hackett said, like, it needs to be fixed. We're fixing it today. Like it goes back to us where we're we're sort of making it happen in the run game because yeah, at the very end Dexter Williams kind of got going. He had a 12 yard carry at one point, but at the that was a, the game was already in the book for the Texans. Like Texans had already won this game, and so they were maybe not entirely into it, and so that's where Dexter Williams got going. They need to work on that, and I don't. Again, I'm not going to overreact. Because it wasn't Aaron Jones, it really wasn't AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon played. I thought AJ Dillon didn't play, but he AJ Dillon actually was out there. I didn't think he was going to be out there. He played the first drive, so I mean, good for him, I guess. But yeah, I'm not gonna go crazy about this. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go nuts that they couldn't run the football. But it is a little concerning, and I, I'm sure Green Bay will take a long look at their you know third and four-string offensive linemen to see if they really belong on this roster uh, when the cutdown happens later this month. Positives, um, like I said, Vernon Scott, I really liked what he did out there. I think he's a player. Um, the Packers are pretty good at safety with Amos and Darnell Savage, but having another guy that can kind of play and rover out there is, is a good thing. So whether you're adding Scott and you almost have a three-safety 
uh, defensive backfield, maybe that's what it is. Um, but Scott Scott belongs. Like he definitely has a spot on this team, in my opinion. Um, also, I really liked Oren Burks. Um, Oren Burks was getting after the quarterback. He had a personal foul that was eh, kind of kind of tight. Like it's as someone said to me when we were watching the game. It's like it, you call it in 2021, but you don't probably in 10 years ago or 15 years ago. That's just not jacked up, and nobody cares. Uh, but that's how today's NFL works. And so, but I, I loved it still because it's like Oren Burks was banging bodies. Like I, I don't know if I've ever seen that from Oren Burks, and I don't know if that's Joe Barry's system empowering the middle linebacker. We heard how much the middle linebacker plays an important role in what Barry is trying to do, but it was a really good thing to see. I really liked that from Oren Burks and was definitely one of the guys that I thought stood out. Devin Funches had a good game too. Six catches, 70 yards. He had an 18-yard reception and eight targets. So pretty good from Fun Fun. Obviously trying to make the team, trying to get that, you know, fourth wide receiver spot for Malik Taylor. Malik Taylor also did all right. Five catches on five targets, 50 yards. So pretty good stuff from Malik Taylor as well as he's trying to compete with Funches. We'll see what the Packers do in that receiver room, whether they keep six, whether they keep seven. Um, but Funches is obviously trying to make the squad and I commend him for sort of showing up. Uh, people had said, oh, he had a quiet training camp, all this stuff. He definitely showed up when the lights were bright and good for him as he tries to sort of make this roster spot. And very excited to obviously play as after he sat out because of COVID and then he had a season ending injury in 2019. So obviously was ready to go and very excited to be out there. All in all, it was a loss for the Packers, but there were a lot of things to take away, good and bad. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers played really well this weekend. They had a blip on the radar on Saturday in their first doubleheader where it just all went to shit. One bad inning really resulted in a blowout by the Pittsburgh Pirates, 14-4. Brewers haven't got their ass kicked like that in a while shit happens okay like I'm not gonna overreact to one loss by the Brewers with how good they are and then they came back they won six to nothing against the Pirates in the nightcap and then they won two to one on Sunday another good performance from Aaron Ashby it seems like Aaron Ashby after the bad start against the Cubs in his opener he's really sort of figured it out and that's really encouraging and really exciting um, because he did get sent down um, just as the Brewers are bringing guys back from COVID and everything like that. But it does seem like Aaron Ashby could have a roster spot for this playoffs. And I would not be surprised if he has a minor role as sort of a long reliever, a guy that they might need to bring in from time to time in, if things go sideways in the postseason. So I'm very excited to see what Aaron Ashby can do. But the Brewers continue to win on the road. They're 6-1 and one now on this road trip. They are 40-20 and 20 on the road. I wrote about it on tappingthekeg.com today about just the success on the road and how special this really is. And, and the Brewers just, they just keep winning. I mean, that's, that's it, right? Like, that's, that's the exciting thing. It just keeps, keeps happening for the crew. And that's, that's really great. And that's really something that we all, we all are enjoying. And I, I think I said it in the blog post and don't mean to repeat myself, but like, do not take this for granted. Like this is a special season. Like you should be watching the Brewers at least twice or three times a week if you can. I know the Bally thing's a disaster. 
but you should at least at least try to make sure that you're getting your fill of Brewer games. Um, as for the series against St. Louis, um, all night games, so no day games for the crew, which sucks, right? Like that's that's terrible. Six forty-five, no no getaway night day game all night. Uh, but the Brewers are bringing their heavy artillery for that week that week of series with Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff. Talk about a dominant trio all three will be on the mound against st louis this weekend or this week not weekend and which was the weekend right uh adam wainwright going for the cardinals tomorrow and then jack flaherty who just came back from injury going on wednesday the cardinals are a little hot they uh they swept the kansas city royals they blew them out um at but so the cardinals are creeping onto the reds they're only actually two back of the reds of second place and i think four and a half back of the wild the second wild card spot they have won uh their last six games they're eight and two uh, so the brewers and cardinals will be running hot but we'll see if the cardinals that's just the teams they've played or if they're actually sort of making a run at this thing you know they won six straight games but they beat the pirates and the royals if you look at the last 10 games for the cardinals they've played the royals pirates and royals so it's easy to win eight out of your last 10 i don't mean to shit on the cardinals even though that is a fun activity but it's very easy to do that they played the braves right before that and they lost they lost that entire series they got swept at home by the braves and so who is this team right like the reds beat them two out of three as well so are the cardinals just taking advantage of a soft spot spot in their schedule or are they really sort of making a turn here we'll see i it'll it'll will definitely this is a good test and the brewers have a target on their back like the brewers are definitely a team that they need to bring it every night and i think they will you know for the st louis cardinals right like that's still a rivalry they haven't played in a long time this year this is the first time these two have matched up since the Cardinals beat the Brewers two to nothing on a Jack Flaherty start in shit. When was that? May thirteenth. So they haven't played in three months. So they'll obviously see a lot of each other down the stretch here. So the Cardinals obviously think they have a chance, right? They play a couple times in September, and they played obviously this series this weekend. So. Be curious to see what the Brewers and Cardinals, you know, do here. Um, if the Cardinals can get two out of three, then all of a sudden the Cardinals are kind of putting themselves back into the conversation. If the Brewers blow them out and say they win all three games or they win two out of three, the Cardinals are who we thought they were, kind of a 500 baseball team, and they just got hot because they played a sort of soft part of the schedule. So this will, this will be a fun series. This will be a really good series. Um, it's Cardinals are always pesky. Bush Stadium, always annoying to play at. It's never really fun to play at Bush Stadium. I don't know. It, it, you always get the heebie-jeebies, right? Like, even though the Brewers have had some success against the Cardinals the last couple of years, I still always, like, I'm on edge when whenever the Brewers Brewers and Cardinals get together. So we'll see what happens uh, with the crew this week against St. Louis before they head home to play Washington and Cincinnati um, starting on Friday. All right, let's wrap up the show with a little bit of conference college football talk. Uh, college football, only a week 
or two away. Um, week zero is actually the day of my wedding. So I will not be uh, partaking in many college football games in week zero. I will miss week zero. You guys, I think, will be fine without me. Um, but I'll be obviously back for Labor Day weekend when college football really kicks off. The Badgers and Penn State. Really tough for the Badgers to start with Penn State. Um, and we'll talk more about college football as we get closer. Um, I kind of want to do it both for college football and NFL is just sort of talk through, you know, previewing both opponents for the Packers as well as opponents for the Badgers, sort of getting us ready for this season and sort of having that those table stakes in the ground. Um, we haven't done a ton on the Badgers. That's probably on me. Um, just with, I think, with the Bucks and with the Brewers' success and then obviously all the Rodgers shit, I haven't probably done enough on the Badgers. So I will, this is a promise to you, we'll do a little bit of a Badger sort of Here's where they stand in training camp on Tuesday. Lock it in. That will be a topic for Tuesday. But let's talk about kind of realignment, kind of not, an alliance. So news broke on uh, Friday night, Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic, that the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 were all getting together and creating this alliance. What this alliance meant, nobody really knows. They just are having conversations about providing a united front. Particularly, this united front is likely a way to challenge the SEC. And because the SEC has added Oklahoma and Texas, they've added two of the biggest voices in college football, the other three conferences are looking at that and saying, we are not going to let you do this, essentially. We are not going to let you run ramshot against us. We are going to be united so that all of our decisions are together and that we are on the same page versus trying to all be individuals. It's very interesting to see how this is developing. Nobody knows if there will be scheduling as part of this or if it's just going to be around voting. So it's like the SEC versus the world. Like if I was an SEC fan, I feel like the SEC versus the world t-shirts make a lot of sense right now. Like I think you can do them in all the SEC colors and there you have it, right? But the fact is, is they, no one knows what this alliance means besides it sounds like they're going up against the SEC and you're seeing two fractions of, or two factions, not fractions, of college football, the SEC, the whatever alliance you want to call it, the old school alliance, I don't know. How do we, how East, the Coast to Coast Alliance, that I guess that, to me, that's a great name for it. The Coast to Coast Alliance, because it's literally East Coast, Midwest, West Coast. Like that to me sounds great. I love it. Coast to Coast Alliance, lock it in. We just think it's voting at this point. And then the other faction is everybody else. So Big 12, American Conference, uh, the what MAC, Sunbelt, all the other conferences. And I think there is a feeling that the Big 12 will get disbanded, that they will now move on from the the Big 12. And I think if I have to guess, what the three conferences here are thinking is like, all right, we're going to not only have a voting alliance, but we're also going to take the rest of the Big 12. And we're going to talk about this as an, you know, who we who we contact, who we approach. You know, Iowa State and Kansas have, I forget the thing, but it's the Big Ten, it's the American Universities or American Association of Universities. 
Iowa State and Kansas are both part of that. So that that means they'll be probably the Big Ten, who the Big Ten is going to try to go after, who the Big Ten is going to try to add to their conference. So that they'll take, they will take them. The Pac-12 might take Baylor and they might take Oklahoma State and look at it that way. And the ACC probably is going to look at West Virginia and West Virginia only. Like I can't imagine they will try to take anyone else because there's no one else that really makes sense. But West Virginia does make sense from an ACC Coast perspective. Uh, but other than that, there really isn't much that makes sense there. So I don't know how it'll all play out. Like I really don't. But I do think part of this is related to the conferences. I, I, I do. I think it's partly conference related and that they will want to add. And I think the American will get some of these teams too. And maybe that bolsters the American, whether that's TCU, Texas Tech, um, maybe Kansas State. Like those are teams where I could say, all right, they're going to go to the American. I think Oklahoma State would be another one for the big the Pac-12. I haven't like played out how it looks from a conference perspective. I don't think you can go farther than 16. So I, I think you would need four for, right, Pac-12 would need four. The Big Ten, I think, would need two then. So that would make Kansas and Iowa State the representatives there. And then, so yeah, okay, so then you go four. So it's Baylor, Oklahoma State, probably Texas, Texas Tech, and maybe TCU. Okay, and then West Virginia, ACC, yeah, that kind of works, right? All that, that leaves out Kansas State, poor Kansas State. Um, I don't know what what they do. Do they come along at the Big Ten? Do they then are they the the lone? They they kind of are the lone one out, right? So we'll see. Or maybe Baylor. You know, Pac-12 doesn't want to touch Baylor with all the shit that Baylor's going through. Not only from the sexual assault stuff, from all the upright. Like they just came out with a big NCAA finding. Way too deep for us to talk about on this show. But yeah. It, there is something up. Like It's definitely not just voting. It is, yes, we're going to go against the SEC, but also it could be TV. Uh, Andy Staples wrote a great column in The Athletic today about the 4 million club and talked about how 4 million is kind of the number when it comes to ratings. And the only teams that are rating regularly in the 4 million club are the SEC, you guessed it, and the Big Ten. And the Big Ten draws numbers. Like Alabama and Ohio State do numbers. Michigan does numbers. You wonder why Michigan keeps is on TV all the fucking time. It's because they do numbers. So that is what it what it's all about. It's all about it's a numbers game for all of this stuff. And the ACC and Pac-12 have not had those four million audiences. So guess what? They say, all right, we're gonna join you guys as an alliance, but we're also gonna have one game a year pitting the ACC against the Big Ten. Hell, our basketball conferences do an ACC Big Ten challenge. Why can't we do that with football? Why can't the third week of the season be the ACC Big Ten challenge and we have Ohio State playing Clemson? We have Wisconsin-Notre Dame who's playing this year. But Notre Dame's part of our ACC group or Wisconsin-North Carolina, right? Uh, We have Michigan taking on Florida State. Like these huge-ass games that are just going to be the wall-to-wall coverage. ESPN will pick that up and say, all right, Fox will do some of those games too, right? Uh, Because they have a contract with the Big Ten. So I think that's kind of where we're going here. 
And we'll see. And Staples, I thought, nailed it. He's one of the best, in my opinion. So he nailed it. And he's like, yeah, they're going to do like scheduling. There's going to be so much more that comes out of this. You know, you're going to get USC playing Michigan, right? And and that's going to be a massive game. Or Michigan State taking on uh, Washington, which I think would still rate pretty well. Michigan State rates really well, which I didn't know. And that's a good learning for me to be like, all right, yeah, Iowa, I'm sure will have a, have something to say, right? You'll have a big matchup between Oregon and Iowa, something like that. That to me is why we're they're doing this. They want to try to at least make a case for how do we combat the SEC. And it makes sense, right? Like the SEC is huge. They are a, a superpower in sports, not just not just in like college football. They are a superpower among all the sports. And it's only getting bigger with their ESPN contract that's coming up. So it makes sense that all these other conferences are like, all right, we're not going to let you just fucking walk all over us. We're going to be a united front. We're going to figure out ways to compete with you. And the only way we compete with you is coming together. It's a fascinating time to watch what's going on in college football. And like I said, we'll have more college football as the week this week goes on and as we get closer and closer to the Badgers taking on Penn State and the college football season kicking off. All right, Tappers, that does it for our show today. We'll be back tomorrow. Um, Mitch and I will do a podcast this week. I don't know when. I haven't talked to Mitch, unfortunately. A tough week for us because of the Brewers-Cardinals playing. It would make sense for us to do it today. But I'll be honest with you, I do not feel like doing it today. (laughs) Sometimes I just got to be real with you guys. Like, I... I didn't make my workout this morning. Um, that's why the podcast is late. I overslept. Um, so I don't th- foresee us doing it tonight. But we'll we'll get in the booth. Him and I will podcast this week. And no interview this week, but I will really start trying to push hard on interviews as we get closer and closer to the football season and as the football season goes on because i think they're really fun i enjoyed my time with jordan if you haven't listened to that yet make sure you go back and listen all right guys take care of yourself have a great monday and we'll be back tomorrow all right see you bye